0: Today's guest is Cody Guy. and Cody is someone that I met actually out on the Pacific Crest Trail last year as well, and has been very briefly part of the podcast before in our Trail Names episode. I've been doing a lot of um, exploring in my own way around gamifying life and making it a bit more fun, especially since coming back from trail. And given you had an entire six-month period where you got to embody that, I wanted to have you on to talk about that and many other things life and PCT related. So Cody, welcome.
1: Thank you so much. It's great to be here. I appreciate you reaching out and inviting me.
0: Yeah, I remember meeting you in front of um, a little cafe in Cascade Locks. And at that point, I was asking people their trail name stories. And most people just, you know, shared a very quick tidbit. And I think you had even shared that the the bit you shared with me was a couple minutes. It wasn't anything crazy long, but really playing to the ethos of like a gamifying life. So I'm curious how you saw that play out on the trail versus how you see that playing out kind of Now that you're back from the trail.
1: Absolutely. It's, you know, it's one of my favorite things to talk about. And one thing I kind of had to figure out the right way to talk about on trail, because people Mm. ask about trail names a lot. So I'm like, maybe this guy who I'm just talking to in passing isn't the right, it's not the right time to launch into the intellectual and philosophical (laughs) background of my trail name. So when you asked me that, I was like, oh, cool. I get to be kind of pretentious for a couple minutes and really launch into it. I loved it. Yeah, yeah, I really appreciate it. Um, yeah, it's, I, had, I, had, I guess there's like several influences uh, that helped me develop that trail name and kind of the ethos behind it. I guess I came into the trail with this mindset before I came up with the trail name. And I felt like it was just a really useful tool to tackle this big challenge. Um, the main inspiration for the name came from a book called Super Better. By Dr. Jane McGonigal uh, in which she kind of like puts out like kind of like a tool set for approaching life as if it's a game. She calls it a gameful mindset and it's really research-based drawing from psychology um, on like overcoming challenges and like the, finding the optimal experience in life and I, uh, I really liked her definition of a game that she uses. I think I talked about this when you, uh, when you recorded me in Cascade Locks, which was super cool. Uh, and that's that a game is any voluntary attempt to overcome an unnecessary obstacle. And she uses the example of golf. Like the goal of golf is to get the ball in the hole. And if that were a necessary obstacle, like if you needed to get the ball in the hole in order to avoid dying or to feed your family or something, you would just pick it up and drop it in. But we have sand traps. We'd say we ha- you have to hit it with a club. You can't touch it with your hands, you know, this kind of thing. And it's just so silly when you really think about it. And it's unnecessary. And we do it for fun voluntarily. And I was like, well, that's the trail in a nutshell. Like if we needed to get from Mexico to Canada, really needed to, we would get on a plane or a train or in a car. And hopefully no one's making us do it. Some people, you know, generate an income from being a content creator. So you could say in that way, it's kind of voluntary, kind of necessary. But there are other ways to make money. So I say definitely voluntary. So by that definition, it is a game.
0: And what made you want to take on that particular game of hiking from Mexico to
1: Canada? That's, well, that's a good question. Um, a few things. I used to teach English as a foreign language overseas. I spent most of my 20s doing that after college, and it was amazing. It was like every time, such a cool adventure, um, but I came home from that in 2019. I think I was starting to feel like a bit like I was not growing in my career, um, so I wanted to try something else, so I moved home without a plan and had a, like a part-time teaching job in LA that actually... The school closed in December 2019, right before, you know, the pandemic shutdowns. And then when the pandemic happened, I was like struggling to figure out the next thing career-wise and had just kind of a few odd jobs I didn't really like. And I took a few hiking trips with my dad, kind of controversial. We went to the Sierra for a weekend trip in 2020. I'd be happy to talk about that. (laughs) And then we went to the San Jacinto Mountains, which are local for us uh, in 2021 for a weekend trip. And both times I met through hikers. Mm -hmm. Actually, did I meet any in 2020? That might not be true because everyone was getting off the trail then. I don't recall. But in any case, I met some of the Jacintos and I started thinking about it more seriously. And I had a bit of money saved up in 2021. And I almost like knowing nothing about the trail, I thought maybe I could do that this year. Maybe I should leave in a month. And then I realized that that was really not feasible. But having met those few people and talking to them briefly on the trail, like introduced the concept to me. I didn't know what it was. When I first heard the term through hiking, I thought it was like any trail that's not a loop. Like if you go in a straight line, A to B, without coming back to A. And then I realized, oh, no, wait, this is a different thing, a really big thing. And I think it was being cooped up during the pandemic and missing my overseas adventures and already loving hiking that made me think. Hell yeah, I'm going to do this.
0: It's interesting too, because so many people that I've talked to about choosing the PCT. I mean, you can't choose something you don't know exists, right? Like there's probably someone out there right now that has no idea the PCT exists. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden they hear about it and it becomes a possibility kind of in that moment. And then they start kind of like simmering on it and like, oh, I think I really want to do that. So obviously through hiking is very different from like living overseas and teaching, right? So knowing that you chose the trail name for the PCT, like what other areas and avenues do you think like, bring the gamification into? Oh,
1: uh, like what other areas of life? Yeah. Um I think I think one thing that's really useful about it that I get from McGonagall's book also is uh seeing obstacles as challenges rather than barriers. Like if you think about like a video game, like, like the Super Mario games, when people play a hard level and they die, like unless it's super hard that it's so dispiriting, you, uh, you kind of laugh it off and jump back in and try again. But like in life, if we apply for a job and get rejected, we feel really bummed out. But if you approach life more like a game, then you could just kind of take it on the chin and be like, all right, that didn't work. I'm going to try again. And that's much easier said than done. Um, But just kind of keeping that in the background of my mind is really helpful.
0: Yeah. And I know that you had shared with me too that, you know, this wasn't just an idea for you of gamifying the trail. Like you actually had some different things that you did to help it. Right. Like in reality, feel more like a a game. So like, what what did that look like for you?
1: Oh, yeah. I've got a handful of things I could. (laughs) yeah. Uh, The most obvious one to everyone who met me on the trail is that I carried a seven ounce large plastic cosplay shield on the back of my pack. Everyone asked the weight, seven seven or eight ounces. I think it got a little heavier. It got a little lighter because bits chipped off. And then it got heavier because I duct taped it. And I like modded it along the way with like shock cord and uh, guy lines. I added guy lines so I could wear it like a backpack around I town. Um, yeah. Uh, side note, the uh, little shout out to the guys at Grumpy Bears Retreat who hooked me up with a screwdriver right before I left so I could drill holes in it because oh, the desert section was a nightmare for the shield because mm. uh, the straps it came with kept breaking off and I kept duct taping them back and the wind would tear it off. Yeah. So several moments I had to like sit down on the trail and be like, right, it's 30 to 60 minutes of shield maintenance right now, which is not helpful.
0: Which is also a fun experience to be like, well, this just happened and I will take care of it right now because that's what's required.
1: Right. And then yeah, but and yeah, those moments were really useful because part of the reason why I brought the shield, reason number one, it's fun. And I Mm -hmm. think we all need to do more things in life for the sole reason it's fun. Um and also because it was like it was like a, a physical emblem of that ethos I talked about. That it's it's an unnecessary thing. It has no function for me for survival on the trail. But I brought it because I wanted to. And that's what the trail is. Like, we all develop a really cool and fun mentality about doing like this epic quest and feel it's so important and necessary. And it is, but at the same time, it's still a voluntary thing that we don't need to be doing. And so the shield was a reminder of that for me.
0: And I know through hikers. So I'm sure you got endless commentary on carrying this like unnecessary thing.
1: Uh, There were a bunch of cool like, uh, like bo- side effects uh, that were a bonus to that. Like uh, like people recognized me at different sections of the trail and I wouldn't have had a nice conversation with them if they didn't recognize the shield. Mm. Like, like there was a guy who works for the PCTA who was doing trail maintenance around mile 400. And I met him that day and it was a really cool experience meeting the trail workers. And then I saw him again coming into camp near Syed Valley, like towards the end of my trip. And it was like getting dark. It had rained. I was just ready to jump in my tent. And there was a truck parked there. And they were these guys were setting up uh, for the night. And he saw my shield. And he was like, oh, my God, I met you on the trail near Los Angeles. And I was like, oh, my God, it's you. And he was like, yeah. And it was just the nicest experience.
0: Yeah, it's like a, a token in the memory of like, oh, yes, it, it's hard to forget. Whereas you meet so many other people that I don't want to say are forgettable. That's not the right language. Right. But they're less identifiable, I guess.
1: Yeah, so I wasn't trying to stand out, but it was just it was just a cool way to have fun interactions. And I also got the, the, the shield is from the Legend of Zelda video games, which I love. So I got to talk about Zelda and playing the Game Boy and video games with people on the trail. And like we we're walking together. I didn't know this person, but they're telling me about their childhood growing up, playing Zelda in the 80s and stuff. Uh, so I, I'd recommend to anyone, if you want to bring a weird random item, Or for choosing a trail name, Uh, choose an item or a trail name that's related to something you love talking about because people will talk to you about it. So it's kind of a way to like steer conversations like low-key.
0: Yeah, it's like a conversational loophole. Like it just feeds right in. But I mean, even the trail, right? Like we went out there and did a lot of it for fun. And I, I know lots of hikers have different reasons for hiking. Some of them are actually trying to figure some things out personally. Some are just for the sheer pleasure and enjoyment of it. You never know all the reasons there, but like circling back to what you were saying, bringing more just like fun into kind of life. I'm curious, like from your perspective, what do you see that gets in the way of that for most people?
1: Uh, it gets in the way of like living life in a kind of more fun, lighthearted way. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, it's a really good question. Uh, I think fear is a big component, like fear of rejection we often don't try things because we fear of failing and it's such a silly mindset because you want the thing and you'll never get it unless you try, but the fear of rejection holds you back. Um, And that's why the gameful mindset is so useful because when we play a game, we know failure is a high probability, but we still play anyway. Um, So, yeah, I mean, that's like, Right on the money related to your podcast too, isn't it? Walking towards fear. You just got to jump into it.
0: Yeah. Well, that's what's so interesting. Like I'm just seeing those dots connecting too. So I'm glad you kind of brought it there. Um, and I had no idea, but that's why I asked you the question. But starting to see that almost gamifying life is a shield in and of itself against
1: mm-hmm.
0: being afraid of failing.
1: Oh, well, that's good. I never made that connection.
0: Yeah, I when like you just said it I was like, "Oh, that's yeah. really interesting."
1: Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, and I like I like the shield rather than the sword cuz it's kind of like defensive and more peaceful. And it protects you, yeah, from those things.
0: Yeah. Cuz I know like when you were actually on trail or even outside of that like did you have any worry about not completing the trail before
1: you got started? Before I got started. Um Kind well no not really yeah my biggest concern when it came to completing the trail before I started and especially during was financial and I just kind of plowed through that obstacle and ignored it kind of foolishly rather foolishly and and just kept chugging because I was because I you know I was thinking about I don't know like it's it's such it it feels so cliche to (laughs) quote the the poem "The Road Not Taken," but that line about how way leads on to way, and you never know if you'll come back, always stood out to me. So I thought, I don't know if I'm ever going to be able to come back and try this again. And I'm here now, and I can, I can make money anytime, but I probably possibly can't come back here anytime.
0: So when you look at it from the financial perspective, where do you see? fun and games fitting into finances?
1: Yeah, well, I've kind of applied like a journaling strategy that I used before and during the trail Mm. to my finances after the trail that I found really useful. Um, In the first year of the pandemic, I put on some weight and I think I'm not alone there. And I was already a bit heavier than I wanted to be. But I read this book, Atomic Habits by James Clear and started keeping a food log and a fitness log in a journal and like i lost more weight than i expected i would be able to and got to kind of like a more ideal body that had kind of been out, felt out of reach for me for most of my 20s and i was like wow this is really powerful this just tracking it's it's goal setting but also just focusing on like the day to day input and I kept doing that on the trail. It was really important for me to continue that journaling habit on the trail. So pretty much every day on the trail, I recorded what I ate and how many calories it was, which was really useful too for figuring out like how I was feeling. I could go, well, wow, I feel kind of crappy. Um, I don't maybe I'm not getting enough food or enough protein, and I could look at my journal and go, yeah, okay, let's let's amp it up. So most days on the trail, I ate four to 5,000 calories, which I think is like, maybe it's normal or not. A lot of people talk about not having enough food. And I always wondered what their numbers were, but I think possibly they didn't know what their numbers were. So I like secretly patted myself on the back. I'm like, yeah, you asked me, you could ask me today, you know, what did you, what did you eat on July 9th last year? And I can tell you, which is really weird and dorky.
0: No, but, uh, I love that. And I think you're right. I think many people would not have nearly that type of data. Like they have a rough idea, right? But not super clearly laid out like that. Yeah. Uh, was that the only thing that you tracked? Was food and food intake on the trail or anything else that you kept in t- kind of journal form?
1: Well, in terms of like gamifying the trail, I I basically I struggled keeping up the habit um early on in the trail cuz I'm just like getting used to the whole daily rhythm. And I had like a couple of times where I like wanted to like crank out some journaling for the past few days and like stayed up late in my tent. And then it screwed me over the next morning. But after a few weeks of that, I eventually got into a rhythm of basically just journaling about my experiences, two full pages every day. And that included um, writing achievements every 20 miles, kind of like a video game. Like if anyone's ever played like Xbox games you always get these pop-up notifications, achievement in such and such a game. Uh, so I would do that in my journal. And this is a thing I came up with right before I left. I had a more complicated system that I devised that I'd be happy to explain, but it was really silly, which I scrapped because it was too complicated. And then right before I left, I found these old sticker sheets I had in my desk drawer that were they were all stars, five different colors. And I was like, oh, I'll take these and give myself a star in my journal every 20 miles. So mile 20, mile 40, 60, 80, 100. And the color was really important to me. The color scales up green, red, blue, silver, gold, because that is the colors for increasing values of rupees in the Legend of Zelda video games. Uh, Are you a Zelda fan? Have you played any?
0: I have not, but I just love the idea behind that. (laughs) The escalation of challenge.
1: Yeah, I you know, I use those three colors in my journals a lot too uh, green, red, blue, because I'm a fan of like medieval fantasy things. And for some reason, it's like a recurring theme in different, um, different stories, those three colors, like I loved Lord of the Rings growing up, and I had the special edition box sets. And the first movie is green, and the second movie is red, and the third is blue. And in the Zelda games, you start with a green tunic, and then you do the forest dungeon, and you get the red tunic you do the fire dungeon and you get the blue tunic and you do the water dungeon so for that's like like a really like elemental image for me and a really vivid metaphor of progression so and then you know silver and gold obviously it's like silver medals gold medals you're scaling up so it felt really motivating uh to do that in my journal and i never well i you you always get intimidated by the larger goal but it kind of helped me zoom in and look at what was right in front of me. And also to look back, like if I look back seven days, I'd go, holy cow, I've done how many miles? And I'd see the stars. Just like when you're on the trail, it can be really intimidating to look at a mountain range ahead of you and you go, Whoa, I'm going there. But then when you look behind you, you're like, well, I went, I went there so I can go there. Like done.
0: Yeah. Like I have been there behind, like I can go ahead again, Mm -hmm. And I mean, even just writing down accomplishments every 20 miles, like likely another thing, it's so easy when you don't do that for them all just to pile up and for them not to be acknowledged. But I think there's like a different power in actually putting them on paper and acknowledging them.
1: Right. It's It's like,
0: yeah, it makes it more real.
1: Mm -hmm. Absolutely. We all need the uh, physical evidence or a visual reminder of what we've done.
0: Because I don't know about you, but I know for me, like, there have been moments since i've been back and at home where it kind of doesn't even feel like the trail happened where i have to remind myself Mm -hmm. like wait a minute no i've done that like i have walked from mexico to canada on my own two feet
1: you're preaching to the choir absolutely and can i just say as a side note you're giving me such a gift right now by Mm -hmm. inviting me on and letting me talk at you about the trail because i haven't gotten to do this in a while
0: Truly. One of the reasons that I continued the podcast after the trail was to have these conversations and like, keep it really fresh. And for me, it's been such a gift to one offer that space to people and Mm -hmm. also hear about their experiences. Like I think the trail and that type of adventure, that chosen challenge, right. It teaches you so much and you learn so much from it. So I'll, I'll kind of open there too. Like, what do you think you learned the most on the trail? That's been really applicable. Like since you've been home too.
1: Yeah, I think about this a lot too, like principles on the trail that can apply to daily life. Of course, what I said about challenges, but again, easier said than done. Like I'm kind of struggling career-wise right now. So I need to take my own advice and kind of get over the fear of rejection and try for things more. Um, I think a lot about, you know, I saw a real similarity between the ways people talk about their time a little bit on the trail or off the trail, like, before and after the trail, I worked a warehouse job that I didn't like very much. And in that kind of, I don't think it's unique to that kind of work for people to talk about their time at work, like a countdown clock. I can't Mm -hmm. wait till it's over. I'm just getting through the day. Um, We're almost there, then I can go home. And it struck me as so bizarre that that kind of reminded me of ways people talk on the trail a little bit. Like if you pressed any through hiker, they'd say they're having the time of their life and that this is a dream that they've budgeted a lot of time and money to, to do. But then when they're talking casually about like a tough climb or a long water carry, you hear like, oh, that sucks. That sucked. I'm glad that's over. That was terrible. I can't wait to be done with this section. And it breaks my heart a little bit that we're all in one situation or the other, which are kind of at polar opposites of a spectrum, kind of wishing our lives away. So that's been kind of a sobering realization where I've tried to change the way I talk about things like that and realize that every minute is a gift, whether you're having the time of your life on an adventure or whether you're in a job that you hate. Like, It makes me think of something I heard In an interview series with um, a guy named Joseph Campbell, who was a really celebrated uh, scholar and an expert on mythology, he has a great interview series with um, the journalist Bill Moyers that they did in the 80s. It's six parts. I recommend it to anyone. It's available in audio book form. And he says at one point in the interview, uh, you know, like life is suffering, life is pain but my god you're alive and it's spectacular and that it's like this really like almost like zen idea of just embracing suffering because you're alive and that's such a gift like how many things in the universe aren't alive in the same way that we are
0: yeah and i think that what you're pointing to is like that constant sense of like you're rushing into the future right? Just to do it more. It's like this positive spiral of bypassing current moment. Mm -hmm. Um, And I've actually reflected on this a lot since I've been home as well. I've never hiked in the desert before, right? Before I I went out to the BCT. And you hear about the Sierras for so long that I was so stoked to get there that I feel like I kind of, I mean, I, I didn't really rush. There's only so much rushing you can do when you hike, right? But I don't think I appreciated the desert section as much as I could have, partly for that reason. Like I was waiting for the thing in the future instead of enjoying the current moment, like as -hmm. the experience on the trail. And that's something I've been playing with a lot too. Uh, I've shared it in a different podcast, but unfortunately, I come from a small town that's had a lot of tragedy where, you know, different people just aren't here one day. Mm -hmm. And just being able to realize, like, man, like I do have today. And even if there's some suffering going on, if there's something I'm trying to navigate or figure out, like, I'm here. Like, what do I want to do with that?
1: Right. Yeah. I, I can, and that's a case where I can be guilty of a lot of like self-flagellation of like looking back and regretting time, not wisely spent, but I think the best way to think about regret is, okay, what do I regret doing or not doing in the past? Now I'm going to focus on doing better going forward. Right. All we have is what's ahead, what's ahead of us. But I'm with you hundred percent there, the desert. You're like, this is, this is terrible. When is this over?
0: Yeah, but like you said, it was prevalent on like a segment, like segmental section of the trail, like the entire desert. Or maybe it's a single climb, right, coming out of Belden, right, where you're just climbing for miles and miles and miles and miles. the Belden
1: climb, yeah.
0: Yeah, right?
1: I I very often didn't like look ahead at the topography coming up. And at a certain point, I just came to accept that anytime I'm going into town, coming out of town is probably going to be up. But people would ask me like, oh, how are you feeling about the Belden climb? And I'm like, what climb? Hmm? Hmm?" And like, I didn't know about it until it was right in front of me, for better or worse.
0: But here's the thing, right? Like, you can't change it if you know about it. Like, how much does it really help? doesn't really matter. Exactly. Actually, I'm not sure if you ever met um, Willie Nelson.
1: No. The name sounds familiar.
0: Looked just like him. But (laughs) uh, he called it the PCT, the Perpetually Climbing Trail. Like (laughs) it just seemed to always be kind of going up. There was not a whole lot of uh, descending on that drill.
1: Do it Sobo then that's that's the answer.
0: Yeah. Right. And then I'm sure they would call it the same thing. So it's just that perception of it can be hard when you're hiking up and that's okay.
1: I used to say jokingly to people like, you know, changes in elevation are like the defining characteristic of hiking versus walking. I'm like the ups and downs are what make this the thing. So, and that's what we want, right? We're here because we chose to be, aren't we?
0: And you have to bring yourself back to that a lot. Like I kept going to, I would rather have a really shitty day out on trail than like even the Mm -hmm. best day in the office beforehand. Right. Perspective was huge.
1: Yeah. Even the days where like it's raining or you have diarrhea in a cat hole or something, even those days, even those days, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I'm with you there. It is a gift.
0: So I know one of the things we started talking about a little bit before we hopped on and recorded, uh, which is kind of the the challenge of coming back, right, of, I mean, we can sit here and talk about all the different things that we've learned, right, all the Mm -hmm. things that the trail kind of teaches you and how to gamify different things. And I see this a lot kind of in the personal development world. People assume that because you have the tools, like things just shouldn't get hard. And I find that to be not true. I mean, they can get easier and they don't have to be as intensely hard. But I know that I struggled a lot coming home, trying to kind of reacquaint with this new version of myself into the world that I left behind. Um, So I'd love to hear your perspective a bit on on coming home and what that was like for you.
1: Oh, man. Um, Coming home was tough because I didn't want it to be over. Uh, Even though like the whole last month, I was starting to kind of, Kind of like wish it away, like like I was criticizing before because I was tired, my feet hurt. You know, it was September. I hiked all of September. I finished on October first, and I wrote so many times during that month in my journal. Like, is this fun? Am I having fun? Do I like this? Is this good? Am I glad to be here? Mm -hmm. And it was really rewarding that last month. Uh, It was like a lot of good solitude and. A lot of nice, spontaneous, unexpected, lovely things. And I'm so glad I stuck it out. And when I came home, I, I got right off the train and went to Pismo Beach in Central California, which is like my family's favorite vacation spot. And I hung out there for a couple weeks, which was a real treat. Um, But uh, during that same time, right at the end of that trip, um, my grandpa passed away. And I, I'm glad I got to see him because he lives around there. I got to see him one last time. And I've got this picture of me looking like a hobo next to my grandma and grandpa. And within a week after that picture, he was gone. And that was really hard. And I just, I didn't know how to process that stuff. You know, it was like, I felt like it was like a new stage of life after that. and. Then I had some debt from the trail to pay off. So I launched back into a job that I didn't really like to crank out some overtime during the holidays. And so it was, it was a struggle. I, uh, I can't say what, what's hard for me to talk about and which I avoided talking about for a long time is how I had just done this huge, epic, awesome thing. And I feel like the narrative usually is, and I transformed my life and everything so much better and I'm doing things so much differently now or after the trail I was doing things kind of similar uh afterwards and I kind of felt like some shame about that and didn't want to talk about it so I kind of closed myself off from people a bit which was really unhealthy and I'm coming to grips with that now and trying to do better
0: it's interesting I feel like I've had this conversation with a few people too like almost this to your point, the narrative, the expectation is you go do this big thing and then nothing is the same after, but that's just not always the case, right? Like you, you come back and certain environmental cues, certain things that happen do kind of continue because that's, what's been known, right? It's not like this magic wand. So I'm, I'm kind of glad that I didn't go into the trail with an expectation that my whole life had to be different coming out of it. Um, healthy. Yeah. yeah. I had wanted obviously to have some, some time to reflect and six months of it
1: mm-hmm.
0: is a lot, but I also didn't put a lot of active thinking time on the trail into what was next for me. It wasn't until I finished the trail that I kind of allowed that to even start coming in because I was trying to just enjoy it while I was doing it. And then to your point, you get back and you're trying to figure out like, well, now what? Cause I hadn't thought about it. Mm-hmm. and trying to navigate like you see different people doing different things and the comparison starts to sneak in in different ways again um uh, it's hard
1: absolutely yeah and c- comparison is the death of happiness isn't it and i try so hard not to compare myself to others but you can't help it sometimes
0: and even on the trail it's one of the things that was really highlighted for me is just like direction is more important than pace mm-hmm. people passed me every day and sometimes i passed other people, and you can make that mean something or you can just kind of go at what works for you and try to, you know, stay steady.
1: Yeah. Oh man. Boy, do I have some thoughts about that? The way we talk about miles and numbers on the trail, I told someone at one point, it's like talking about your salary. Like what if someone came Mm. up to you and said, how much do you earn? I earn this much. It'd be really inappropriate. But on the trail you're like, I did 33 miles today. How many did you do? Oh, that's less. Hmm. Yeah. So I yeah, I really try to avoid talking about numbers. Like even a few minutes ago when I talked about my weight loss and how that was an accomplishment for me, I exercised some restraint in avoiding the number because I feel like the number's not the point. I'm talking about its its significance to me. And you know, sometimes it becomes necessary or relevant to say the numbers, but I prefer to focus on like yeah, uh the relative importance and significance. To, to the person rather than the numbers. Cause as soon as you start talking numbers, you start comparing.
0: Yeah. It's like the individualization of the experience. Mm-hmm. Um, I've really looked at the idea of kind of hike your own hike and how I can apply that more broadly to my own life. And I think that idea, right. Is stripping away comparison in different ways Absolutely. And the trail, both highlights where it shows up um, and the ones that matter and the ones that don't. Cause you also meet some people who just do such a phenomenal job. Like, I don't even know where I camped yesterday. Like, I don't know how many miles I did. I walked until <laughs> I got tired. And you're like, man, that's got to be kind of cool.
1: That's really admirable. Yeah, I can't do that because then I wouldn't be able to do my star sticker system. Right, right. But I, I like that. That's really good.
0: Have you gone back through it all since you've been completed the trail to like look at those accomplishments?
1: You know, only a little bit. And I felt like maybe I was unusual in this case. But when I listened to your podcast the other day with... uh nitro and jurassic park which was so lovely by the way listening to your podcast i of course scrolled through it and found the ones where i knew the people sure and i listened to those and uh and yeah so thank you for that that was terrific and uh nitro was talking about how he kind of didn't want to go through his photos for a while and how it's kind of like kind of like a grieving process and going through it's like to recognize that the, the adventure's over and uh, and so no, I have so many photos that I only see when my phone like automatically generates an album for me, and I'll watch it on the toilet. And my I haven't I've been meaning to go through all my journals, but it's hard. Like I part of me just really doesn't want to.
0: I I'm in the same boat. I I took trail notes every day. I started with a physical journal. I've always been like a paper and pen person, and then shifted to um, typing them out on my phone. I sent my journal home, not because of the weight. it just worked easier for me that way. Mm. And I have not gone back through those trail notes. Oh, um, that's weird. and I haven't re-listened to the podcast that I did when I was on the trail. I did just create a couple Shutterfly books of pictures from the trail. And I'll tell you that even decision was driven a bit by fear of like, what if I lose these pictures? Like I want a physical copy of them. Oh yeah. Uh, less than anything else but finding ways to appreciate the experience and relive it and honor the like i think there will always be a little bit of just like uh yeah like processing always of that experience Mm
1: -hmm. i think it's so true and i think you you really got to approach it like it like a grieving process it is it's a thing that's over and many of the people you may not see again and that, that is a fear in itself. That's hard to confront. Um, yeah. And for me, it's also kind of the fear of like, like maybe I'm not that person anymore. Like mm-hmm. I want to do another through hike cause it was fun and I like the challenge, but also so that I can kind of continue that identity because I feel like it's wearing off and that makes me anxious.
0: This is really interesting to everybody that I talk to, including myself, like I'll put my hand up here has this experience of being just such a full expression of themselves on the trail. Mm-hmm. That seems a bit more difficult to access when you're in day to day life. And I really don't have language as to why.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't either. It, it makes me think of something I heard in a podcast recently, which is that identities expire. And it made me think of how after I stopped teaching overseas in 2019, I still wanted to tell people I was an English teacher, even though that's not a very high status or high paying job. I realized uh, there was a lot of ego wrapped up in coming home and telling people, oh, yeah, I lived in Japan and taught English. And then people say, wow, Japan, tell me about that. Rather than like, I worked in such and such a job that doesn't make you curious or ask questions or excited. And even on the trail, like having just come from a warehouse job that I didn't really like, I would tell trail angels or people giving me a ride, I'm an English teacher, just so I don't have to talk about my warehouse job, you know. And But then I realized that's kind of silly because some years had passed and that identity had had worn off it didn't really apply anymore because I hadn't done it in so many years so I really didn't have a right to keep saying that and that's what I worry about being a through hiker like I want to be game boy still mm. but can I be am I if I haven't through hiked in so long is um maybe a useful way to think about it I think is as a sort of secret identity and that's something that Jane McGonigal talks about in that book super better is uh having a, a like a heroic super uh, secret identity for yourself.
0: I think that opens a really cool conversation just about identity in general, right? like
1: mm-hmm.
0: how how can we access those things without changing the environment? right? like I, I've asked uh, myself that too, like how can I bring more of the self that I experienced on the trail like to the life that I actually live in all the time instead of these like small pieces. Uh, but I that's interesting. identities mm-hmm. expire. Because if they expire, I guess the question is kind of how do you create new ones?
1: Right. You got to do something. And be comfortable with the evolution process. Um, and I think that's some advice I need, really need to follow for myself. Because, like I said, ego is wrapped up in those things. And it is about being a through hiker too. Like, we all love talking about it so much. And people don't really want to hear it. <laughs> um, But, but it's cool. It's exciting. I think I I just think of another book I read recently called Vagabonding Mm. by Rolf Potts, which is about the art of long term travel. And it's got lots of great, like, practical and philosophical advice about travel. But when I got it, it was after my through hike, and I flipped right to the end. I'm like, right, tell me about the return. Tell me about coming home. And I was disappointed that it was such a, a short chapter. But I think the title was the most helpful thing about it. The title is Live the Story, which to me says, like, you've been through this transformative process and now you need to, like, kind of live by example and show that you are changed by it. Like, people don't need to know you've been through it or know the details, but kind of know that there's something different or special about you.
0: I love that. And it is easy to want to actually just talk about it all the time, right? To tell people yeah. about the experience. And it's so easy. I mean, when you're talking with other through hikers, mm-hmm. like the common thread there is like there's a sense of shared experience. and like I know you experience things that have changed your perspective. And I guess mm-hmm. you could look at everybody in the world that way. But what do you think that looks like in your life? like to 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 live that instead of think about it?
1: Yeah, it's a tough question. I mean, just the other day, I took my lunch at work, and I was out soaking up some sun. And I sat at a table and ate my lunch. And then I lied down on the on the concrete on the curb, and just like soaked up the sun. And then I realized that like people in the office could see me. And when I went back in, someone said to me like, Oh, we were all admiring how you were just uh, soaking up some sun. Like, because I think most people kind of like, self-conscious or have like some reservations about lying down on the ground. But for me, it was like, I was practicing a skill I picked up on the trail, which is just plopping down on whatever surface, because I need to be horizontal right now. And also just like the simple pleasure of enjoying the sunshine. And I mean, not to toot my own horn too much, but I think like that, that mindset was unusual and kind of maybe a little like, cool or inspiring to the people observing me would and it's just kind of like a different different approach to life in ways big or small that might be contagious
0: well I think going back to how we started this like you're showing them a possibility that they didn't really know they could choose right yeah oh like I could just go lie outside on my break
1: yeah why not
0: why not and I've noticed that it kind of shows up um, sometimes just like food. I don't know. You're with somebody and like mm. they drop a chip and then they're like, oh, I'll throw it away. I'm like, it's a perfectly good chip. <sighs> yeah. Right. Oh.
1: Like,
0: I I miss more than anything. I think sitting on the dirt, like having meals with friends just so I love now picnics mm-hmm. because it's like the closest that I can get to to trail trail meals, I guess.
1: Yeah that's perfect. Yeah. I, I eat like hiker trash still. It's making me hard to, uh, keep my weight at an ideal zone because I'm still like Doritos. Hell yeah. Gummy, worms. gummy yep. worms, candy, give it to me. I'm gonna, will wrap anything in a tortilla. Um, oh, yeah. pack my lunch in Ziploc bags. Didn't do that before, but now I'm just like, yeah, any bag will do. This is fine.
0: <laughs> yeah. Totally. And all those different pieces, like start to come together again, where, Sometimes people kind of ask like where different habits come from and then it's that conversation starter. Mm -hmm. So I think, I mean, again, we were talking about it before we hopped on, what advice would you give people who are coming back from not just a through hike, but any sort of big life transition where there's kind of like a before this experience and after this experience type of thing?
1: You really need to like do the work to process it. And that's something I haven't done enough um, and didn't anticipate. It's such a strange experience feeling changed by a trip like that and coming back and feeling like nothing much has changed around you. And I, th- I think it's really alienating. And I don't, I don't have the best advice for that. Um, I think just prepare yourself mentally for the fact that it's going to be hard and that people won't understand. And you should have the grace and compassion to be okay with them not understanding or even not even being curious. Sometimes I say in passing to people who they ask about like where I've worked recently and I'm like, oh, I worked here. And then I quit to go traveling for six months and then I worked somewhere else. And I kind of just throw, it up, throw that out there because they asked. And then I say no more because I don't want to like vomit all this information on them. But often, people have no follow-up questions. And if someone told me that they went traveling for six months, I'd be like, okay, I have a thousand questions. And that lack of curiosity is astonishing to me. But I think it speaks to how people don't have, like, a frame of reference to understand a thing like that. So they don't know where to begin or how to engage with it or even care about it.
0: Yeah. And I wonder sometimes, because I've had those experiences too, where they're just like, how was it? I'm like, it it, it was great. They're yeah. like, good. And then like on to the next. Mm. And I do wonder if some of that is like an artifact of people wanting that so badly for themselves and feeling like it's not possible for them. Right. Uh,
1: yeah. I thought about this a lot, listening to your podcast, because we talk about how to talk to people when we come back. Yeah. And how people can best talk to us. And one thought that came to mind for me when I was listening to those podcasts was all the all the silly questions you get, you know? How do you go poop? Where do you get food? Do you carry all your food with you for six months? You know, mm-hmm. the absurd, mundane questions that we've heard a million times. But I think we really need to have patience with people in those moments because I didn't, I think about myself, I didn't even know what through hiking was even just a few years. Before I did it. And the trail is like in my backyard, like I could drive 30 miles and get to the I-10 Oasis right Mm. now. And I didn't know what it was. And I was curious when I met people and I asked questions and probably a lot of my early questions were those mundane questions that they're sick of answering, but that's the beginning for a lot of people. It was my beginning.
0: Yeah. That's actually a really good point. Uh, Going back to kind of, I guess that relativity of experience. It's yeah. easy, I think, to to get annoyed with the those questions. Mm-hmm. I love the questions, and I've had a handful of people ask me phenomenal questions about the trail, like yeah. you know, how are you different before and after it? Like, what did you learn through the experience? You know, those um, more, I guess, subjective questions mm-hmm. versus factual, like fact finding missions. Yeah. Um, but to your point again, like if you don't know. That is really kind of the beginning. And I guess that's showing curiosity and it's up to us to recognize that is curiosity from them, just not in the way that we hoped it should be or could look like.
1: Absolutely. It's about like meeting them where they're at and not overwhelming them with information.
0: While simultaneously wanting to tell them every single thing it's about so, every single thing.
1: <laughs> it's so hard. I Like I said, you've, you're doing me a huge favor right now. I should pay you for this time. You can bill me <laughs> later. It's okay.
0: Invoice in the mail.
1: Excellent. Yeah. Worth every penny because I just love talking about it. And I feel like so self conscious about like feeling like egotistical and self centered. But I'm like, yes, please let me talk about it. I, you know, but you, you need to process these things. Like it's therapy.
0: Yeah. And I've looked at that a lot too, honestly, since coming home. Like I'm so proud of that accomplishment. And I thought that the pride of, the accomplishment and the achievement would kind of overpower any sort of difficult emotion coming home. Like, yeah, but I did the dream. And then you realize it is a grieving process. Like, well, now the dream is complete and it's a different chapter, but being able to recognize, like being proud of that experience does kind of lead to this internal tug of war of like, is, is it bad to feel this proud of myself or like this cool for I've done this thing? It's like, No, I think stepping more into that is probably the
1: way to go. Absolutely. Yeah. Own it. It's yours. You've earned it. Right? Remember, Very few people do that. You said in one of those podcasts I listened to recently that uh, when you were flying home, you're sitting next to the person and you thought, oh my God, they have no idea what I did. Like, if you're like, I don't know, like you're you're a criminal or something and no one knows your true identity.
0: Yeah. It's like you have a secret (laughs) almost.
1: Yeah. Secret identity.
0: Secret identity. Yeah. And then- Heroic. Very heroic. And then you get to play with again, like I I really liked what we were talking about before with gamifying life as a way to kind of shield yourself from the fear of failure, right? Mm -hmm. Of like, actually, I know there's a high probability of failure here. um, And I'm choosing to do it anyway. Seeing that that identity kind of gets tied to it, right? Like when I'm in this space and I'm not worried about winning or losing, but just kind of choosing to play that to me feels more powerful than the outcome of the game.
1: Absolutely. Um, And it's not even like overcoming fear or circumventing it, just like your podcast is titled. It's plunging head on into it and having courage. I think about that line from Game of Thrones where the kid asked his dad, uh, Ned Stark, is it possible for a person to uh, have courage when they're afraid? And he says, that's the only time it's possible. It gives me goosebumps. I'm like, hell yeah. I was afraid a lot on the trail. And I thought about courage. It was a thing in my journal inspired again by that book, super better where I made like, I made like a sheet that had like seven characters from books, movies and games and like an inspiring quote from them and like a principle that they embody. And then I had like other inspiring quotes and I had like a secret identity title for myself that is unrelated to Game Boy, uh, inspired by her thing of like, she talks about that in the book. She's like, come up with some people from stories you like, how they inspire you and make incorporate them into an identity for yourself and uh, hide hide that identity in plain sight. And so part of that for me was the shield. I'm like, it's on the back of my pack, but there's so much more to this. And that's just for me. And that's a, that's cool and inspiring.
0: Super cool and super inspiring. And what I love to through this conversation, I, I think in general, games and video games almost get like a bad rap from mm-hmm. adults, right? Like stop playing with that, like grow up, be responsible and Absolutely. to find ways to be like, no. It's that is actually such a valuable perspective to actually bring back. Like I would encourage anybody to to play more, have more fun and gamify Mm -hmm. things more than like taking it too seriously, like any day of
1: the week. Oh, 100%. Yeah. And for more advice on that topic, check out Jane McGonigal because she digs into research on like healthy uses of video games and at what point it gets unhealthy. Mm. For example, in general, the research is kind of all on the same page about the number of hours per week. Like once you start to exceed 21 hours per week, there are a lot of observable negative effects. Um, but a lot of negative effects are mitigated by any social component, whether you play with someone online or in person. So like like anything, it's not good or bad, but it's complicated and depends on how you use it.
0: Oh, I love that. Yeah. All right. I think one of the things I have played a lot with lately is Really taking that idea of removing good and bad to like a, a new level and seeing how often that kind of black and white thinking comes into my life—it's mm-hmm. uh, everywhere. And for like, I just needed that reminder too of like, it's—it's not good or bad. It's how you use it. It's—it's it's using discernment and being able to choose kind of what's working for you and what's not.
1: Right. Yeah, we do it so much. And uh, like, I studied that in college, like media effects. And people would always try and blame things like video games or movies or radio for like and just make them the scapegoat for social ills but uh you know as the research developed we got a more nuanced view of these things.
0: Yeah, that's super cool. So knowing that this one big adventure is behind you right now, right? Yeah. And there's lots of ways to bring in fun and games and using that as a shield again against fear of failure. What do you feel like might be next for you? Where are you headed? What are you working up to create right now?
1: Oh man, I I'm realizing more and more that I just need to get things out of my head. Mm. And I think people really recommend starting a blog during or before, during, or after uh, the trail, or just to create anything, something. And I think I'd like to do that because I have a lot of ideas swimming around and you've done me such a favor by letting me talk your ear off. Uh, But it really like is a way of like thinking I like, I, re- I read a quote that said like, I don't think to write, I write to think. And I like writing. So that I think could be in the cards for me as well as like, this is my first time ever being on a podcast and it's really cool. And I think this is maybe something I'd like to do. So you've really inspired me and given me another big gift in, in this.
0: And I will tell you, I've enjoyed this conversation so much that if you start a podcast, please let me know. I would love to listen. I think you have a really cool perspective and, and take on life. And the more you explore it and put it out there, like people start to follow it, right? Like they get curious when they see someone exploring the world through a different lens than they've done before. And yeah. for me, that's been really fun to, to get your take on this. And it's why you popped into my mind when I was starting to play with this idea of gamifying things. I was like, wait, I met someone who had embodied this way of living right. really, really well. Um, and I know, as you said, you're not an expert in it, but you're you're playing mm-hmm. with it and seeing what areas you can keep bringing it to. And it's been a gift to to hear more about your perspective on it. So thank you.
1: Oh, totally. I appreciate it so much. And I'm self-conscious of the fact that I've been talking so much and I I want to hear more about your experience too, but I know it's your podcast and you probably have talked about a lot of your experience too.
0: And this entire structure for me, like it's conversational. I've listened to other podcasts, right. That are very like interview focused. Mm-hmm. And to me, I just want it to be a conversation. So I don't think you've talked too much at all. I've okay. I very much prompted all the things that I was curious about um, yeah. without driving too much. So as you know, one of the things here is that you have an opportunity to ask my audience for, um, for help in some way. So I'm curious if you have something that would be useful for you right now.
1: Absolutely. Uh, well, we talked about this a bit before and how I am kind of in an ongoing career transition I recently started a new job in human resources, which I really like. Um, I never planned to go into human resources though. It seemed like right place, right time and the right opportunity. And I'm excited about it. And I think I can do good things for people in that role. And that's something I was missing in my previous work is I felt like it wasn't helping people. But at the same time, I'm still exploring possible avenues for the future. Like I said, when I moved back home from teaching English, I didn't have a plan, but I wanted to try something else. I may even go back to teaching English overseas someday or in the US. I don't know. I'm still figuring it out. So if any, anyone in your audience really loves their job and wants to share their experience with me, however briefly, I would love to hear from them or from content creators of any kind for their experience or advice they can reach out to me and I would love that
0: which I think is an incredible ask like there it does seem to be a small population of people that love their jobs and to hear from those people about what they do and why they love it mm-hmm. of course it's unique to them and it may not be a perfect fit for you but just I think being that person's energy for a minute would be such a cool yeah. gift so I love that ask
1: I appreciate that um what should I should I say my email here if anyone wants to reach out to me
0: yeah, sure. What's the best way for people to contact you?
1: Sure. I'm not very active on social media, but you can reach me on Instagram at Cody Geib, C-O-D-Y-G-E-I-B. Uh, and that's also my email, Cody Geib at Gmail, C-O-D-Y-G-E-I-B as in boy.
0: Excellent. And I'll have it linked to in the, the podcast notes so that people can connect that way. But gotcha. this has been such a fun conversation, both about the trail and about everything outside of the trail. So thank you for for talking about it with me and thanks for your time today.
1: Oh, thank you so much. Like totally invoice me later. This has been such a gift. Thank you, thank you, thank you.
0: Incredible. All right, everybody keep walking towards Fear.